The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. All right. Our topic today is the transforming power of the soul-guided path. The transforming power of the soul-guided path. Now, this is kind of a quick little two-part series that gives us an opportunity to pause and look at where we're headed and what's, what's running the show. Because uh, what I've noticed about myself and many, many others is that we really are creatures of habit. And even if, uh, our, if we've experienced consequences from very difficult or life-limiting situations and patterns in our life, we seem to stay locked into that, into those habits. I'm reminded of the great story of this guy who was down and out and his life wasn't working. And he was frustrated and he was upset. So he was walking down the street and he passed uh, a travel agency and they had a sign in the window that said, $200 cruises, inquire within. And he thought, wow, now that, that could help me out to get away on a cruise. And it certainly fits in my budget. I'm going to go for it. So he went inside and he, he asked about it and he filled out the paperwork. And as he was doing that, somebody came up from behind him and knocked him unconscious. They took him and sent him down a chute into a rowboat. And that rowboat was pushed out to sea. And so he bobbed around a while, and then he came to, and he got up on one, one elbow, and he looked around, and noted, I'm in a rowboat here. And then he saw another guy in a rowboat rowing toward him really fast. And as the other guy got closer, he yelled out to our guy, and he said, hey, did you, did you sign up for the $200 cruise? And our guy said, well, yeah. And the other guy said, well do they serve food on, on these cruises? And our guy said, well, they didn't last year. And so, sometimes we don't learn too fast. But what I will tell you is that there are a lot of other examples of those who have sensed something deep within themselves and have veered off of the standard way have veered off of what seemed like the direction of their lives onto a different path, perhaps their own personal road less traveled. Uh, I'm thinking of Mohandas K. Gandhi, later called Mahatma Gandhi, who in his young adulthood was a brash, kind of fearful, angry young man who as the wheels of soul evolvement began to turn within him, eventually, as you know, would become one of the, the greatest social transformers ever and, and an incredible voice for peaceful, nonviolent change. Transformation, veering off of the trajectory. I'm thinking of a guy named Sir Richard Branson, who uh, back in the 60s, they didn't know a lot about dyslexia, and he, he ex- was experiencing dyslexia, so much so that by, in 1966, when he was 16, he dropped out of high school. And he didn't really know what to do, but he, he, he had a confidence about himself and, and a kind of an interconnection with his guidance. And so the first thing he did is he published a little newspaper there in his school, and then he began selling records through the newspaper, and that was going all right. And uh, it wasn't long after that that he actually opened a store to sell records and, and other recordings. Then that morphed into a recording label and studio, and then he started attracting some really great bands, including the Rolling Stones, and then he went from that into the transportation, into airlines, and into trains, and then into cell phones, and on and on until he had 400 companies, and he's now a billionaire. And he had no plan. But he did have a connection. And he kept on that path of what was being revealed within him. 
Then there's this wonderful lady that we've had speak here several times, Anita Morjani. And Anita found herself uh, in, in her midlife riddled with cancer, cancer throughout her entire body. She was in very, very critical condition. And in fact, she actually died on an operating table, only to be resuscitated. But during that near-death experience, Anita really saw what she had been doing to her life. She saw how she had dedicated her life to everyone else except herself. That she was a people pleaser, that she was always deferring, always pushing down everything that wanted to emerge within her and just trying to make everybody happy with her and everybody happy in their lives. And as she saw this revelation and then connected with the soul of her, that wanted to use this lifetime for far more than that. Well, after she was resuscitated, that insight was transformative. And within six months, she was entirely cancer-free and remained so, and has written a book, Dying to Be Me, and is out speaking and, and talking about this. That activation of the soul and how we suppress that soul energy in our life. Oh, and I'm reminded of Helen Keller, the great Helen Keller, who was this rageful, lost a young girl, and, and, and then the grace of Anne Sullivan, who connected her to her awareness and even to her spirit, so much so that she'd become one of the most brilliant women of her time and a mystic at hand. That woman who would say, life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Yeah, the trajectory doesn't have to pull us. We can veer off of that if something within says, that's my path. So here's the key in all of this. We are all a part of the kingdom of ever-expanding good. The kingdom of ever-expanding good. Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven, and he said that kingdom of God is within you. We're a part of this kingdom. And, and this kingdom is, is a field of infinite divine intelligence and purposeful unfoldment of life. That's this kingdom. And we're a part of that. Now, what if we discovered and really connected with that essence of our being that is part of this omnipresent kingdom of ever-expanding good? Discovered and connected with that part of us that is intrinsically and eternally whole, peaceful, powerful, and wise beyond all measure. Wise beyond all measure. And what if... We abandoned ourselves to this soul initiative. Abandoned ourselves to it so that it expressed through us what might our lives become were we to embrace the soul-guided path for ourselves. What might our lives become? Now, this essence of being that I'm speaking about is very often called the soul or the spiritual self, the higher self, the true self. Call it whatever you choose. And, and this soul of us is so incredible. But the thing is, we forget about that. And, and so many seem to have fashioned their whole lives about striving to become. Striving to become. Have you ever felt that way? I've got to become. I'm not enough yet. So I've got to become more. Uh, I've got to become better, more accepted, more accomplished, uh, more powerful, more loved. And, and so we 
press and struggle to be that, coming from this foundation of not enoughness, when the truth of the matter is, is that the soul of you and me is absolutely spectacular. And it cannot be improved upon. And I think our biggest job, get out of the way. And let it have its way with and through us. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, he said, we should never lose sight of the fact that the soul is on the pathway of an endless and ever-expanding experience and that only by expansion can it evolve. How are we doing with that? That giving of expansive opening to the soul of us. That like the acorn at the heart of the oak knows how to become majestic if we'll let it, if we'll allow it. So in all of this, uh, the biggest problem, the biggest problem is that we're not taught that there's that divinely ordained life of us that is already imbued with intelligence and love and is always whole. We're not taught that. So what we set about doing as we become more conscious of our lives and our youth is we start fabricating an image of ourselves, our self-image. And we, we, we weave this tapestry of a sense of self out of information from around us, from our source figures, uh, and, and also from all of the judgments that are laid upon us, the brands that are, that are cast upon us by others and by ourselves. And so we weave this tapestry, and then we turn over the reins of our lives to this invented self. Not our authentic self, but this invented self. And this invented self is what tries to aspire to things in life to feel good about ourselves. Because in most cases, this egoic self believes we're intrinsically unworthy and inadequate. And so our life path becomes, how can I be impressive? How can I be better? How can I become, 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 become? When in fact, we're already designed to be. And, And it's about releasing what the poet called the imprisoned splendor. I'm going to quote a lot today from a wonderful writer, Michael Singer, uh, and this week mostly from his book, The Untethered Soul, although he has a new book out called The Surrender Experiment, which is powerful as well. Listen to these words. You will never find yourself in what you have built to define yourself. Now let me say that again. You will never find yourself in what you have built to define yourself. You're the one who's doing the building. See, so we want to get beyond, we, beyond what we have invented to that co-creative life and consciousness, that spirit, that soul that we really are. So what's been in charge in your life, really? What do you turn to for your, your guidance? I've always loved the story of the guy who had finished a Chinese uh, food, a dinner at a Chinese restaurant. He opened his fortune cookie and it said, you're a poor, pathetic, gullible fool who seeks advice from bakery products. <laughs> where, do you, where do you turn? 
hopefully to more than a fortune cookie, I would hope. And then I love the old Zen story of the guy who's on a horse, and that horse has taken off, and it's running frantically. And a friend of his is by the side of the road, and he yells out, where are you going? And the guy on the horse says, I don't know, ask the horse. And that's so true for the rest of us. What impels you? What's impelling you along a certain trajectory? And is it authentic? Is it soulful? Or is it trying to serve something else? What's impelling you? Is it, is it the impulsion of the ego and the intellect? Is it a whole lot of plans you think are what your life is about and yet something in your heart disagrees? Is it the, the impulsion of peers or parents or, or ones who've told you what you should, the shoulds and oughts in your life? Is it career expectations? Uh, is it all this stuff that you've set in motion and you feel like, I can't change it? What about that something deeper within you? What if we gave over the reins to the knower within ourselves and, and went beyond this tapestry which is usually born of limitation, went beyond that and drew our trajectory from something so real, so powerful, There is a knower in you, and the only reason it sometimes seems like a very faint voice is we have overlaid it with so many other assumptions and belief systems. But that voice, that feeling, that calling is there in you and me. And I guess the real question comes down to this. Are you up for guidance and unfoldment in this life of yours? Or... Is it really just about sameness and security? Guidance or unfoldment? Or sameness and security? Something that withers if it's just simply safety, sameness, and security. And it doesn't matter what station we're in in this life. That acorn of the soul wants to sprout even more. So I want to offer you some of the ways that I think we can get back in touch. That we can do what this first part is really about, and that's fostering illumination, illumining ourselves to the truth of our being, that we're spiritual beings. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We're of that which is all intelligent, all loving, all powerful, and seeks to unfold by means of us. We can get back in touch with that and and begin to really walk a soul-guided path. And to remember these, just remember the letters of soul, and you guessed it, um, they'll all start with these four words. It's all about stilling, opening, untethering, and leaping. Let's start with the first one, stilling. In the Bible it says, be still and know. It's like what we get to do when we finally stop listening to all the invented voices in our heads... And we get still. And we come in to the presence of the knower. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and connect with that I am essence of you, which is the spirit of you, the God in you. Be still and know that. That's reconnecting with your essence. When Jesus and the gang would get um, kind of up to here with the human condition in the world, they'd have to do what we all should do a whole lot. He would say to them, let us get thee apart a while 
And he would take them away and they'd go to the desert or to a mountain or onto a boat on the sea. And there they'd get still, reconnect, re-empower themselves. And I also love it uh, when he said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, if there's anything that you do during this series, I would say put out into the deep of you and put down your nets to catch a, a, a greater expression of yourself. Catch a new idea. Catch a true soul leading for your life. Even if it flies in the face of everything that's currently going on, put your nets down deep. Michael Singer, deep within us there is a direct connection to the divine. There's a part of our being that is beyond the personal self. You can consciously choose to identify with that part rather than with the psyche or the body. When you do this, a natural transformation begins to take place within you. You naturally begin to center more and more on the spiritual part of your being. And you do this not by reaching for spirit, but by letting go of the rest. What he means is letting go of the fabrications, letting go of the assumptions and the misguided ideas. Be still and know. I think the greatest thing that we can do in this lifetime is surrender to and embrace our soul-guided path and to acknowledge, and it's a humbling acknowledgement, but to acknowledge that our intellect and our reason really don't know how to guide our life to the highest. Now, they're useful tools in navigating the world, but hear me, your mind and your intellect really doesn't know how to guide your life along the highest path, but the soul of you does. The soul of you does. And it's an incredible thing when in this life we get still enough and all of a sudden we get it. Okay, this is the path. This is what I want about. This is what I've been denying, but now I'm going to own and see where it takes me. In Proverbs, uh, it says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I like that. It's like our minds create a plan, and yet it's the higher self that takes us the, the, the real path. The Lord directs a path. So in many respects, the soul guide, to walk the soul-guided path, you've got to be out of your mind. In a very positive, <laughs> in a positive way. Using the mind as a tool, but it's not the leader of your life, your heart and soul. They're the leaders of your precious, beautiful life. Or, as I like to say, it's about being nuts. Which is the acronym for never underestimating the spirit in your life. <laughs> never underestimating the soul. Of you, So it's about stilling, first of all, and then opening. Opening. This is moving into a space of giving permission to your deepest life. That is bringing it out of hiding. It's like Anita Morjani saying, I'm, no, I, I'm unopened to my soul now. I've def- denied it most of my being. I'm going to open to it and see the wonders it creates. It's moving into that yes. More than anything, this opening is about moving into the transformational energy of change. You know, change is not the great demon our fearful ego thinks it is. Change is the harbinger of evolution. It's the catalyst for evolution. And actually, it's our greatest friend. Though the fearful part of us, again, wants to opt for sameness and security. Change is so powerful. Let me tell you about a wonderful guy in this church who allowed me, gave me permission to write about him in my book. And uh, I want to tell you his story. His name is Bob. And Bob came from a whole lineage of men in his family who were in the military service. 
And again, he, felt, he let that tradition be his trajectory for his life initially. And he decided, well, that's what I'm to be. And so his goal was to get into West Point, but he had some physical problems. Uh, he, he couldn't pass the eye test. Uh, he was underweight. Uh, he um, had flat feet and he had a heart murmur. But he was young and, and he decided to overcome all of that. And so he did a whole bunch of practices. He would practice picking up marbles with his toes to strengthen and arch his feet. Um, he, he did eye training tests, uh, practices. Uh, he um, drank a pint of cream a day and then worked out with weights all day. And the heart murmur vanished. And I'll be darned, he passed the test. And he was admitted to Virginia Military Institute for a year. And then he entered West Point. Then he graduated with honors from West Point. And he then went on to uh, uh, do the rigors of ranger training. He became a ranger and a paratrooper. His initial assignment was to set up ranger bases in Vietnam, which he did for about six months. And then he was shipped to Hawaii for a time. And he says uh, that an epic thing happened to him. He and his buddies there in Hawaii were going to go see the movie, The Longest Day, which is the story of the D-Day invasion. And they'd all bought their tickets. But all of a sudden, Bob, something came over him. And Bob couldn't go in. He couldn't. And so he told his buddies to go in and enjoy the movie. And he sat down on the curb and he had this epiphany. All of a sudden, that soul that had been held down broke out, and he said, this isn't the life I want. The soul of me wants. This is not it. I don't want to be in the military. I'm not interested in war. I'm interested in peace. I don't want to be any part of this. What a crisis it was, and yet at the same time, it was an enormous opening for him. He couldn't turn back. A couple of months later, he finally arranged for his honorable discharge, and he got out. But then he didn't know what to do. And sometimes on the soul path, you don't know. But he, and, and for a time he grieved and he got angry with himself. He even momentarily thought he might re-enter the military. But he just kept on walking. Finally, he was hired by IBM. And that's where he learned a lot of business skills that he now uses in a very successful uh, business consulting uh, career. And the very day he was hired, another lady was hired. And they became friends, and she introduced him to metaphysics, uh, to the Seth materials, to Course in Miracles. And then in the early 70s, he found Mile High here, and it all came together. Uh, and he's been a wonderful leader at Mile High. He is living a spectacular life. He's written a book, a very spiritually oriented book. And, and, and it's all because he was willing to open to the authentic soul and its authentic path for him. It took tremendous courage, and it wasn't always easy. But the soul knows how. Michael Singer. The spiritual journey is one of constant transformation. In order to grow, you must give up the struggle to remain the same and learn to embrace change at all times. Stilling. Opening. Thirdly, untethering. To start letting go of and releasing the attachments we have to old plans, old agendas, old ways of being to release, to let go, and to acknowledge that it's time to let go of control. Any controllers at all in the room? Oh, don't sit there looking pious at me. I know. We all do that. To untether from that. There's a story out of the American Revolution. In the days of the American Revolution, this guy was so paranoid, afraid that the British were going to overrun his village that he concocted a plan, and he hid a rowboat in the, in the rushes. Then one night he heard the call, the British are coming. 
and he enacted his carefully executed plan. He rushed out of the house, he rushed out of the, to the seaside, and he got into his boat, and he started rowing frantically. It was a dark night, a foggy night. In fact, he couldn't even see his hand in front of his face, but he rowed and he rowed with great courage, and he rowed all night to the point of exhaustion. Well, finally, the light dawned, and the fog lifted, and he was shocked to discover that he hadn't gone anywhere. He had forgotten to untie his boat from the mooring. And I thought, you know, I think I've been there a few times. You know, what do you need to let go of? You can have these great dreams, but you've got to untether so that you can do the final thing, to leap. Stilling, opening, untethering. And there comes a time for leaping, really going forward into what is sometimes the great unknown. But you know your soul is calling you there, and so you get to go. And it's like the great improv expert, uh, Del Close, said. He said, fall, then figure out what to do on the way down. <laughs> and sometimes you've got to leap and let it unfold. Let me tell you about a man that I love to the core of my being. And he's our minister emeritus in memoriam, uh, Dr. Fred Vogt, H. Fred Vogt. Um, if you didn't get to know him, if you haven't been around long enough, he was an incredible guy. Uh, here's a picture of, of Fred. Wonderful man. He was like a father to me. Um, he nurtured me in the ministry. Um, a dear, dear friend through all his years while here. He told me uh, some stories about his life. Now, he too was on a trajectory in the ministry because his dad and his dad's dad had been ministers. So he assumed that's what he had to be or should be. So he, early in his life, became a Nazarene minister, Church of the Nazarene minister, which is a very traditional uh, Christian denomination. And he did that for about 13 years. But he said, you know, Raj, about the last three years of that, something began to move in me. And, and I was in spiritual crisis. And he said that there are times I would get everybody out of the church after our Sunday services. I'd lock the doors and I'd go back into the sanctuary. And I'd fall in the steps leading up to the altar area. And I'd just weep and I'd cry. And I'd shout out, God, I don't believe this. What am I going to do? I don't believe what I'm telling these people. I can't tell them anymore that they're no good, that they were born sinners. I can't tell them anymore they've got to fear God. And if they don't shape up, they're going to hell. I can't tell them this anymore. And this crisis came up in him. And, and he bore that agony until finally, after 13 years, he decided, I'm resigning from this ministry. And he did. And when he told his wife that, she left him took his girls, his daughters, and left. So uh, it just got deeper for him, and he moved to California. He was up in uh, Washington State during this ministry, and he went down to California and did a bunch of stuff. Uh, he sold China, sets of China, door-to-door um, -door for a while uh, until he showed up at the factory one day, and it was padlocked, and it had gone out of business. So he had a degree in psychology, so he started doing some psychological service, some work there. And he even worked for quite a while as a parole officer, which he said was really a horrendous kind of an experience. But then somebody told him, he said, Fred, there's this spiritual movement going on here in California. You ought to check it out. Uh, it's called a lot of stuff. It's called science of mind and spirit or religious science. You know, you might want to look into this. And so Fred decided to go to one of our centers uh, that uh, well, one Sunday. And he met his first hurdle because, you know, Fred was a little old-fashioned, if you didn't know him. 
And the thing is, the minister that got up to speak that day was a woman. Now, Fred was not accustomed to that. And he said, Raj, I wasn't ready for that. I was about ready to leave. But he said, I got over myself. And I stayed there. And Raj, I believed every word she said. And he told me he went out and he bought a huge stack of books. And he went home and he devoured them. And in between, he would cry in joy at what he was discovering. And he started studying this stuff. And he got himself credentialed in this ministry. Then he came out here to Denver, and that's the only church he ever served. And he took this church from about 300 people over in the Lake Ridge Theater to, to a couple of thousand and built the vote center there. And you might say, well, boy, that was a rough go. Yeah, it was. Sometimes moving on the soul-guided path looks like an odyssey or a saga. But I tell you what, it always turns out for the best. If it's truly an initiative of your soul, it's got to lead you into the best. In fact, I think a really great affirmation for this would be, my soul doesn't screw up. Together, my soul doesn't screw up. Or let's put, put it positively, my soul always knows the way. My soul always knows the way. It does, gang. It really does. As I close, I'm reminded of that, that eagle's song. Uh, so oftentimes it happens. We all live our lives in chains. And we never even know we have the key. Those chains are just old beliefs, old images that we've been subservient to. The key is your soul. And you can unlock your life. And you can move from simply sameness and security to the great adventure that is wanting to unfold through you. So let the past go. And enter into some stilling and some opening and some untethering, lots of untethering until you're ready to leap and trust that great life to have its way with you. You're a miracle happening, you know? You're a miracle. And I love you. And so it is. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.